0: Please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is powered by the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Education Foundation, which supports the educational programs of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, home of Space Camp, working to inspire the next generation of explorers. Learn more about the Foundation's mission at rocketcenterfoundation.org.
1: I had the responsibility at 23 years old with those technicians. Was I was responsible for 150 intercontinental ballistic missiles spread across a missile field the size of the state of New Jersey in North Dakota, and we had responsibility 365 days a year to make sure that those missiles were good to go. And these guys were responsible for hauling the nuclear weapons to, to, to take the old nuclear weapons off and put the nuclear weapons on. So, so the guidance, command, and control, hypergolic fuels, and all three of the missile stages. So these guys would carry the, all, the whole missile. It <laughs> took a couple of different trucks. But I had the responsibility of 23 for, for 150 launch vehicles that had a really big weapon on the end of it.
0: So that was pretty cool. Lieutenant Colonel Burke Hare was a U.S. Air Force space and missile operator whose career included maintenance and operations of ICBMs and overseeing improvements made to the Global Positioning Satellite Network. He's a Space Camp Hall of Fame member and is currently Program Manager of Space Operations with the Space Development Agency at Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama. I'm Ryan Faraselli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for.
1: I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm one of the few to proud Atlanta native. I got involved and interested in space about the time I was five or six years old. And I think where that all came from was uh, I got a tour of, a, of the local television station, which is still there, Channel 11, and they were showing the kids how they do television shows, you know. And the show that they picked was a show about a moon base and it was called uh, Space 1999, which right. is from the seventies. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've not, seen but... it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so that was that was like, what? <laughs> we can do this? And they, they were showing this, you know, this eagle flying across space, and it was like that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so I think that may have been kind of what sparked it up and so from from then on out it was just it was on so uh you know I'm a Star Wars kid so I was six uh when Star Wars came out so you know I I basically Star Wars has been in my life that entire time and and then uh and then of course Star Trek was part of that too a big part of that and uh so those were kind of the influencers in, in media. And, and my parents uh, were very supportive of it. I mean, I think, I think they thought that was that was pretty cool. And so they made sure that I was they, they, they were feeding me with all the all the books about Apollo and all the books about Skylab and all the books about Apollo Soyuz. And um, and, and of course, when I was growing up from the time I was seven to the time I was 11, we weren't in space. So, so I had no real good memory of, of missions. I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember the Apollo Soyuz mission as a kid, but that's about it. I mean, I mean, barely. Cool, one of the coolest things that ever happened was my dad uh, was able to get a ticket to the very first space shuttle launch. Wow. Yeah, STS-1. And we went. And we went down with some, some of our friends. Uh, from my dad's friends We flew down there And we made it to the Cape And we we were there right next to the Vehicle Assembly Building We were there on April tenth, 1981 And it gets down to T-9 minutes And they've got a problem And they scrub And guess who had to go home? Oh, Me Oh no So they launched two days later And I watched it on TV with the rest of my classmates But I was there and so, so that was pretty cool. The interesting thing about that ticket was the ticket we got was from John Young, the commander. And he, it was from his cousin, who was a friend of my father's in Atlanta. Cause uh, John Young grew up in Cartersville next to his cousins. Well, Cartersville's near Atlanta. And my dad was friends with one of his cousins. And that's how it, that's how that all worked out. So that was kind of a neat story. Uh, also, we had another interesting person with us, a guy named Bill Curry and Bill Curry, was the head coach at the time of Georgia Tech. Bill Curry later became the head coach at Alabama. So interesting little uh, tidbit there as well. <laughs> so, 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 mom and dad, uh, they they kept stoking that interest, encouraging that interest. I give them a lot of credit for that. In fact, it was my mom that found Space Camp in eighty two. The next year and there was a waiting list yeah that was the first trial year and i think it really became kind of they were starting to tell people you know in the area it is the space camp thing, and there was a waiting list and and i couldn't get in so i had to wait until i think it was um i think it was the the, the spring of i think it was the spring of 84 1984 because i was still 13 and i went to space camp in 1984 and that's where it just took off from there.
0: So, at that point, was the goal to be an astronaut?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be? I think the goal was to be an astronaut back in back when I was five. <laughs> so, so yeah, and 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 you know that really helped a lot. Uh, that really helped a lot to have that goal uh, in mind through the years, and it, it really was a focusing, a, a good focusing function, you know, to keep you kind of. You don't know where you're going to land, but that's that's a great focusing function for you. You think you're going to land there, but, <laughs> but that's a good one to have because you'll wind up in pretty good place, a pretty good place if that's your ultimate goal.
0: Did you go more than once to Space Camp?
1: Yeah, yeah, I went. Um, so I went back. At, so I went '84, and then I go back in '86. And and interestingly enough, they had just filmed the Space Camp movie, <laughs> but it had not come out yet. So we got to use all the all the props that they left over, which are now you know the ones that they still use at the camp. Uh, we we got to use that. I mean, I slept in the bunks that the that the uh, the movie stars are in in the movie because that was that was left over, right. and uh, uh, and that was up in stairs in the bubble because Space Camp was still the bubble, which is now you know half where half one is. Both times it was that that's all it was, it was the bubble on top of half one. So yeah that was that was pretty cool. The first year the 80 the 84 trip was something I mean they had a, your space shuttle was a was a box they built that looked like a space shuttle with um, uh, chairs that you might get from your cafeteria and yeah, plastic <laughs> chairs from your cafeteria and they had uh, some wood panels and they had some old 1970s aircraft instrumentation that was, Sitting there, they were trying actual broken old stuff they were trying to make it look like it was legit but when you flew the mission it had a in between you and the commander there was a monochrome computer and it had this touch screen where it had a vinyl touch screen on you touch that and so it was green right that was it just green and you touch it so they had it set up to to, to just that's it that was the space shuttle You really were just interacting with the computer, not the shuttle. But when I would go in 86, the Discovery uh, Space Shuttle, which they still use today and was in the movie, was was, was large and in charge. And I remember the first time I went to space camp that I was was selected to be the flight director of the mission. So I didn't get on the shuttle for the mission. I remember being so disappointed. but it was a great thing. I loved it. I absolutely loved being the flight director. I still have a photo. You know, they give you photos of that stuff. And right. so that was great. But, but the second time around, I scored commander. So it was good. It was good. That's great. I did you know, I my, I didn't attend Space Camp after the 86, uh, after I went to 86. So I, Space Camp, the movie, was, was actually no influence on me whatsoever <laughs> except to go to actually go see the movie. I, I think for me... What 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 was more influential was when I went '86. It was the spring of '86, and Challenger had just exploded in January of '86. And so I remember that they used to have the crew. They had all the teams set up with you know you were given a baseball hat with the space shuttle name. And so the first time I went, it was the planets. So every team was a planet, and I got named. I scored the Uranus the Uranus <laughs> team and, and they had brown visors, which I thought was hysterical. I still have it just because I just think that's just to this day is hysterical. They picked a brown visor. But but they had the chal- they had the Columbia, the Discovery, and the Atlantis teams, and they used to and they had a challenger team. And in my class, they, they pulled that hat. There was no, no challenger team and that was brought up and, and was kind of it was always looming. Because uh, it's like, okay, we're, we're doing all this stuff. We're learning about space. We're learning about um, how NASA goes to space. But, you know, we've had this terrible tragedy. And here you are, this high schooler, and, and you know, you lived through it only a couple months ago. And now you're training right. uh, in, in the footprints of those folks that, that had just passed away. So that, was, that was probably the bigger influence, I think, for me at that point.
0: There was a lot of questions during that time period, too, about whether we would ever return. I mean, you know, I think we all knew eventually we would return, but would it be, you know, would the shuttles return?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, and and you know, you could feel that. You really could. You really could feel that uh, that, that 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 sense of of eh, you know. But but I think on the other side of it was I think the I think the program, and when I say program, I mean the Space and Rocket Center did an outstanding job in leaving all of us with a sense that it was going to go on and you were part of it.
0: The Intuitive Planetarium is an immersive digital dome theater experience that offers educational astronomy shows, live entertainment, and exciting theater experiences. The only one of its kind in the Southeast, the Intuitive Planetarium at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center offers an 8K digital planetarium and digital dome experience. Additional time tickets are required for intuitive planetarium experiences. Visit rocketcenter.com for tickets today. The
1: plan? Well, the plan didn't work. Um, <laughs> the, it's a comp, my, 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 first, my first year of college is a bit... A bit complicated, um, but I'll tell you the story. I, I tell the space camp kids this. I have an opportunity um, to speak to the kids. I've gotten to speak to them twice this year, and it's uh, the theme is uh, basically a funny thing happened on the way to orbit. That's the title <laughs> of what I what I talk to. So this that's that's the context of what I'm about to say. So I went into, into college in, in the late '80s, and um, I was select. I was going to go to the Air Force Academy. That was my goal, was to go to the Air Force Academy in Palo Alto, And I was selected for a a program called uh, the Falcon Scholarship Program, and it's a service academy prep program. And the deal is, if you're accepted to that program, it's because you did not receive a, you received a nomination out of high school, but you didn't get appointed. But hey, you're just right there. I mean, you're right there. And we want you and we want you to be a part. We, we think we think you've got it, but we need you to go off to a two year college, military college. and we want, We're we going to put you through, you know, the rigor, the academic rigor that, that we have at the academy. And if you come out the other side and you can get another nomination, we'll, we'll, we'll extend you an appointment. So I went to Marion Military Institute in Marion, Alabama. So I leave Georgia and come to Marion. Marion is very isolated, there's not a lot out there. And so so we showed up and I got through the program and it was tough, it was tough. There were days I didn't think I was gonna get through the program, um, but I did. And uh, when I got done, um, I, I received my nomination from my congressman, but the appointment didn't show up. In the end, I wound up not with the Air Force Academy. It was the best thing that ever happened. Because it set in motion, as many as we know from our temporal experiences in Star Trek, it set, it set a different path in motion, but, but in a good path and uh, probably a better path for me. Um, and so I found my way to Auburn University and went through Air Force ROTC there, and that's where I got my commission. But that wasn't straight, that wasn't straightforward either. So I get there, and in a uh, year after being there, this pesky thing happened called the Berlin Wall fell. <laughs> and and when that happened, all of a sudden, I had gotten a pilot slot through the Air Force ROTC. I was going to be a, I was going to be a pilot. Got it through the Air Force. And um, anyway, they uh, they wound up uh, they wound up saying sorry, we don't need as many pilots anymore because the uh, Cold War's over. I commissioned in 1992 and then because of this cold war drawdown, the air force basically said, we'll call you and we don't have to call you for up to a year. And so I said, you know what? I think I want to go work at space camp. (laughs) So that's what happened. So, so, so I came up here and, um, I came up here and got hired on, and I was at Aviation Challenge in their second year, I think it was. It's in 1993, so I was like one of the early, early counselors up there, crew trainers at uh, Aviation Challenge. Yeah, we had that was the best ten months that I had ever had, <laughs> and uh, and uh, met a girl, and that was kind of nice. And uh, and and actually got to be a space camp counselor uh, over the winter time, and uh, and it went and things went very well. And then then I got called up to active duty in, in 1993. I guess the other piece of that story that I should share is that girl was the girl I married. So I had a space camp romance. <laughs> I'd gone to the Air Force Academy, no space camp romance, no aviation challenge. See? Sure. So that was great. Yeah. The life lesson here is about is about recognizing your opportunities. I, mean, I never in a gazillion years here I was going to be a pilot, right? In the future, and I never in a million years thought they're going to send me to intercontinental ballistic missiles in Grand Forks, North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know where Grand Forks, North Dakota was. Right. So Yeah, so we left Huntsville, and it was 78 degrees and a thunderstorm. And and when I say we, I really mean we. And when I got there uh, four days later, it was 36 degrees and snowing. And I said, what on earth am I getting into? This was in April. And so when I got there, I I found out very quickly that um, I was a second lieutenant. I was put in charge of 70 maintenance technicians on day one a one, 70 maintenance technicians, and the non commissioned officer in charge who worked for me had been in intercontinental ballistic missiles since before I was born. I was 20, 23 years old and you had 24 and a half years in the military doing that job. So, so that's a challenge. And so, but, but where the opportunity came in is the University of North Dakota had a degree program for, for a graduate degree program in something called space studies and they still do. And this is when it was nascent and still growing and not a lot of people knew about it. And, um, I was afforded the opportunity, uh, before I, you know, before I got married, I, it was a while before I got married. So I took that time to go ahead and start my master's degree right off. So I got a master's degree in space studies. That master's degree was, was, was critical and has been critical, uh, to me being able to stay in the space business, particularly even after I got a, after I retired from the, from the military. So that's a, a great example of, um, uh, you know, you, you don't know what opportunities are out there to get there. You know, if you recall earlier when we were talking, I said that they were going to give me an opportunity to go fly. Right. The Air Force is always doing things a little differently. And <laughs> so um, while I had a pilot's license coming out of college, and if you had a pilot's license, you went straight to flight school. If you didn't, you went to a program called Flight Screening, and, uh, which is an aptitude program. Well, they sent me to the aptitude program. And they sent all of us to the Aptitude Program. They just decided, you know, we're gonna send everybody. So so we went and uh, it was seven weeks. I, I executed uh, to the best of my ability, but in the end, they got me. On the last flight, on the last day, uh, They it's called hooking when you, when you don't make it. And I flew a great flight that day. Uh, and to this day, I still think I should have gone to flight school from that flight, but they didn't. And so they hooked me and they give you a second chance uh, the next day. And the second chance the next day was a disaster. Oh, no. It's, yeah, it was an absolute disaster. And I and so um, it was a humiliating experience. Um, and, uh, and and I tell people that because it frames up the rest of the, the rest of the, the story. But from five years old to 26 now, you know, you know, this was the, uh, this is what, what I had wanted to do to get to that ultimate goal of being an astronaut. Right. At that point, um, I go back to Grand Forks, North Dakota and, uh, I show back up at my unit and you can imagine I'm still a Lieutenant. I'm just one of One of hundreds, right? Right. And my wing commander and the wing commander at an air force base is the top dog. He's the senior commander on the base. And my wing commander of my missile wing sees me in the hall and he says, come talk to me, make an appointment. Come see me. I mean, this is like this. This would be like the mayor of Huntsville, Alabama, just reaching down to you and saying, come to my office. Right so so i go see him and he sits down with me and he says you know i washed out of flight school and you can see how it hurt my career so now what do you want to do (laughs) that commander saved me and so i told him i said well i'd like to go become i'd like to i know there's this thing called space operations and i know that we're now in space command we weren't when we started but now we're in this this thing called air force space command and and I would like to be part of Air Force Space Command in the United States Air Force. I want to be a first class citizen. I want to operate satellites. And he said, I'm sending you. Wow. So, he sent me, so he sent me to the class and that's, I'm off to the races. That's where it all, that's where I started to climb. Right, right at that point. I, I guess I went to the school and the school was like a flight school. You know, in, in flight school, you uh, you have to compete the number one person in the class gets first pick of whatever's on the list that's available to you. Right. I went to that school, it's called undergraduate space and missile training, and we had to compete. We had, when, when our list came out, we had 15 people in the class. You have to understand that at this time, missiles and space. So when the list came out, there were four space slots and everything else was intercontinental ballistic missile operations. So, you you know, I wanted to do space at this point. I felt like I'd done missiles. I wanted to do space. And so I was fifth in the class. Oh no. I was, I was fifth in the class. That's right. So there's four space light slots and I'm fifth in the class. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at going back to intercontinental ballistic missile operations. Well, it just so happened I felt like I had been marked down on two test questions incorrectly, and um, I had challenged those two test questions, which you're allowed to do. Uh, I, I felt really strongly about those two test questions. Well, they gave me one of them back. Well, that knocked me up to number four in my class by one one hundredth of a point. Oh wow! <laughs> one test question got me into space. And I guess I guess I should tell you there's. There's, there's what, what, what's available are two slots to a communication satellites called DISCUS. There's one slot to something called MILSTAR, which is a World War III presidential. It's bad communication satellite. I mean that thing's gonna be there. And then there was one slot to do the Global Positioning System or GPS. Is that what you wanted? That's what I wanted. So. GPS, the GPS constellation, we feel like it's been there forever now, don't we? <laughs> it does. It feels like it's been forever, but, you know, it's like the Internet. The Internet feels like it's been here forever. But if you think about it, it's actually GPS and the Internet, believe it or not, came into the mainstream in the same year. I think it's 1995 is when they, both of them really started to, to come forward and, and be you know used and accepted. GPS. When I came on board, you're right. It was the world's largest satellite constellation. Uh, you need 24 satellites to provide three-dimensional positioning, navigation, and timing solutions to your receiver. I mean, you know, like your phone right now uses right. GPS. So when I was there, um, we had our 24 satellites. I think we had. I think we had a few. I think we had three more. Um, we launched a bunch. Uh, What's really cool about GPS, and what's really cool about GPS is because it's so important they were replenishing it and updating satellites on orbit. So I actually got to fly three different types of spacecraft uh, as part of the global positioning system. I got to fly the global positioning GPS uh, Block 2, which was its own. That's the one that looked like a TIE fighter. Right. Uh, you remember the this the classic GPS like we call it. Right. And then there was a GPS two R, which looked like the TIE Fighter, but it had some extra really cool stuff on it. So that and it it was enough to be a different version. So it was like flying an F fifteen A and F fifteen C, you know, but they were both F fifteen. Right. So so we got to fly I got to fly those and then Lockheed Martin uh, gave us a that those are both Boeing satellites. And then Lockheed Martin uh, get, uh, had a contract and brought us something called the Block 2R satellite, R for replenishment. I'll tell you a very cool thing about the Block 2R. I, I went and checked the other day. There are four satellites on orbit right now that I used when I was <laughs> back in the 90s in two, early 2000. There's four that I that I commanded that are still being used. So you're getting your taxpayer money. You know, Here it is, 2022, and they're supposed to have a seven and a half your lifespan. <laughs> there's four of them still up there, you know, kicking, kicking tail. I, I think, I think for someone that wasn't familiar with GPS at the time, it was a, it was, it was really for, for military use. Uh, we had a, we had a second, uh, we had two signals. Uh, one signal was a course navigation signal, one was more precise signal, and the precise signal was for the military. But so many people realized that the coarse signal was good enough. Uses in civilian use, so that's kind of where it blew up. Probably one of my proudest things with GPS is I was involved in Operation Allied Force. That was, you know, they say the Gulf War, the 1991 Gulf War, was the first space war, and and it was. I mean, it was to an extent. That was the first time that people went, "Oh gosh, we have stuff in space that we can use to help us really have an advantage over the bad guy, right, or our adversary." Um, but Operation Allied Force was a uh, was a was an attempt to stop a um, a genocide in Eastern Europe, if you remember, in the Yugoslav former Yugoslavia, and so we sent over. It was an air war, predominantly an air war, and the uh, majority of weapons that were dropped on uh, the uh, on the forces that we were concerned about over there were. GPS-guided munitions, and that was the first time where we had all these GPS-guided munitions. the first time the B-2 bomber went over, and it almost exclusively used GPS-guided munitions. Right. Just, and you say, well, what did you do? Well, we, we did things to make sure the Constellation was, was uh, as primed as possible to get the most precise information uh, to the people that were in there because we needed them to come home safely. We needed their weapons to go through the window that they wanted—the left window or the right window or whatever window they wanted to go through. Right. A friend of mine who's now in the Space Camp Hall of Fame, Brian Dudas, was over there as an F-15 pilot. Brian uh, and I were counselors at Aviation Challenge. <laughs> Brian and I were talking, and it turns out we were comparing notes. And Brian's like, "Yeah, I was over—I was over the theater in Allied Force. And I was providing combat air cover." and using your GPS signals uh, while I was providing combat air cover and, and we were talking about there was a recovery uh, we had a, there was a down pilot he's, he's better to talk about it than me but there was a down pilot uh, and, and at the time we didn't talk about you know, GPS radios and this that right. and the other but, but, but they got him out using the GPS signals and we went back and looked and I was on console my crew was on when they, went, when they rescued that guy So that was, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty cool to know that, you know, that that we were part of that, that effort right now. GPS is is everywhere. I mean, it's in your, it's in your cell phones, it's in your, it's in your cars, you you know, it's, um, it's in your cell phone towers, um, you know, the timing signal, the, that's what's the precise as you go cell tower to cell tower, your phone moves and it transfers that over. That's, that's the goal positioning system. That's. That was US Air Force at the time. Now it's US Space Force. So US Space Force is people you don't know, realize the US Space Force is in their lives every day. Right. I finished as a crew commander and I was I was really, really, really proud of that experience. That was the best assignment of my of my career, hands down.
0: Then after that you went back to missiles, right?
1: Right. So part of the whole Cold War, let's figure out who's who and reorganize the better. The intercontinental ballistic missile force was put into Air Force Space Command. Missiles went into, uh, went into Air Force Space Command and the bombers went into something called Air Combat Command. So what happened was they said, well, you know what? We need need these space guys to go do, uh, do missiles. And we need some missile guys to do space. And so if you are a space guy and you've not done missile operations, you're going. And so we wound up at uh, at Francis E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and uh, I pulled 174 uh, combat crew alerts uh, in the Minuteman III weapon system. Well, what happened on September 11, 2001? We were put into a much higher posture than we thought we would be. The people that I came off alert on the I went and looked it up. I, I came off alert on the 9th of September. Uh, one of my, my, my crew deputy went back on alert uh, the, the next day, uh, thinking that he was gonna go out for a 24 hour alert because that's what it is. You, you come into your support base, life of a missile combat crew person is, you, you come into the base, you get your briefings, uh, if you, there's classified to take out there, you grab that, Pick up a crew vehicle, a government crew vehicle, and then you drive up to two to three hours uh, to your work site. <laughs> and then when you get to your when you get to your work site, and once you once you uh, get ex- you get through all the gates and all the checkpoints and everything, and you, you, you walk into the missile alert facility, and you get downstairs. That's when your 24-hour clock starts. When your offgoing crew says you have the alert and you accept the alert, which means you've signed for you know, the, the weapons and said, yep, I've right. got the alert. So these guys all went out on their 24-hour alert and they wound up out there for like three or four days. Everything was so, so locked down. I went out there after that and I went out there for three or four days as well. We had two sets of crews with us. And I, I really can't say much more, except I can assure you that while, while all we were all worried and distracted about terrorists, and we were worried about war attacks, and we were worried about how we were going to go over there and take care of that, the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Force, and I think the rest of the strategic triad, which is submarines and bombers, uh, we were in a place of higher readiness where we were messaging to the other guy, don't try it. We may be distracted, but we're not that distracted. I can't really say much more about it, but uh, I, I can say that uh, your, the, the system worked. It worked, <laughs> as it's, the, it worked exactly how it's supposed to you know, I, I, I know that as long as we keep that system in place, uh, we, we're going to be in good shape. I did that for three and a half years. Then the Air Force said, you know what? Um, you've pretty. you you've done a lot of this nuke stuff. So we want you to go, we want you to do more nuke stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm a space guy. <laughs> you know, I, I think my satellite command and control experience, you know, that's what I really want to do. That once Once I got into that in GPS... I didn't need to be an astronaut because I flew 31 spacecraft ultimately in GPS. So so now you're like, I want to get back to that. I wound up uh, running some very high level nuclear weapons accident exercises for the Department of Defense. One I did for the Secretary of Defense, which was um, very big. We we brought NATO and and Russia, the NATO-Russia Council over to watch how America responds to an accident with a nuclear weapon. It, it was about 6,000 personnel that I was managing in that event. I did another event for, uh, I went overseas and I did one in Central Command, a, a big exercise for the United States Central Command in the country of Qatar. And I worked with the Gulf Cooperation Council, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, etc. cetera, those guys. we yeah. taught them how to pull all their resources together as all these smaller countries and uh, how to respond to a massive uh, chemical, biological, or terrorist attack. And so I'm, I'm proud of those two things. Got me promoted and got me back to space. So, so I wound up getting back to GPS in the next assignment. You know, that one was really cool because I'm at headquarters and I am the lead, um, I'm the lead operations person for Air Force Space Command. You had the whole Air Force, and then you have these commands. You have Air Combat Command, Transportation, uh, Air Mobility Command, And they had space command. So so I was the guy, I was the the lead GPS guy for operations there. We brought on a new family, a new generation of GPS satellites while I was there, GPS-2F. Those satellites are still in orbit right now, today, and you're using them. A lot of people think satellites, like airplanes, like each satellite's its own thing, and they are, right? But it's a capability. So you need four satellites to give you 3D, three-dimensionally positioning, navigation, and timing, right? So it's a capability that requires the whole constellation. We, we brought on a new uh, command and control system for GPS. What was so significant about that was up to that point, the system that was there was a system when I was a lieutenant. I mean, it was old. Sure, yeah. And, but it was still doing the job. We had to turn it off and turn. It wasn't like I could leave them both on. We had to turn one off and turn the other one on and hope that the GPS constellations still work for everybody. Cause GPS at this point is a no fail system for the world. Right. Right. It's not just the military anymore. It's the world we're talking about. And uh, we did it and nobody noticed. <laughs> and that was that was the victory. Nobody noticed. So we were we were very proud of the fact. I'm very proud of the fact that 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 we brought that system on, and that is the system of record today. So the system that's currently running the GPS satellites is the system that I was on the team uh, that uh, I played a small role on that team, but a but a but a role I'm very proud of of getting that system up, and you guys never knew
0: on behalf of everyone who's listening to this podcast and has needed to find directions to a friend's house. Thank you.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. And if you've gotten lost, it's not the satellite's fault. It's your your receiver. (laughs) Satellites are never wrong. (laughs) After doing all that, I had a general that said, you know what, I like you, and I'm going to take care of you. As of now, I'm managing your career. And I was very excited about that. Uh, My wife, Mary, and I, we looked at it and said, you know what, it's time to to do something different. So I went back to the general and said, I'm going to do everything you've asked me to do. If it works out, sir, I'm I'm with you. But if not, I need you to send me back to Huntsville, Alabama, because she was ready to come home. So I came home, finished up at the Missile Defense Agency, and did some space stuff there. Finished up that and did six years as years, uh, as a contractor. And then I got recruited for a really, really cool thing. I am uh, I'm working for the Space Development Agency today, and the Space Development Agency is the Department of Defense's constructive disruptor. So my responsibility uh, at the Space Development Agency is to uh, lead the lead the standing up of a satellite operations center or a satellite networking operations center at Redstone Arsenal to fly of the National Defense Space Architecture Satellites for the Space Development Agency. But my organization will become part of the United States Space Force on 1 October. Uh,
0: So So, you're super, super excited about that, I'm guessing.
1: I am. It's gone full circle. The irony is every time I got pulled away from the space realm, it just allowed me to get pulled back in. When you think you're off in the hinterland, maybe it's it's actually an opportunity. And if you take the opportunity, it'll get you back where you want to be. It's GPS. GPS (laughs) always brings you home.
0: Train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Shuttle simulator programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and the future of space exploration. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. When you were a kid the dream was to be an astronaut and if you had some sort of opportunity presented to you today would you still go up
1: yeah i think i would absolutely (laughs) i mean ops is ops sure (laughs) absolutely there's always a path and there's always a way and when you are in a situation where you think you don't have that path if you're in that position where you are discouraged that's when you need to understand that there is a way and you can do it. And I'm living proof.
0: I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm going to dare to explore this time. I'll let you know.